0: I'm Jane Travis and welcome to the Grow Your Private Practice show. It's great to have you here. Hi and welcome back. And if this is your first time, it's really great to have you on board and you've come at a great time because being a counselor is a wonderful thing. Now, I was a counselor for 14 years and I loved it. I really did, but it is really hard work you know listening to what people are saying watching for what it is that they're not saying noticing body languages noticing silences and bearing witness to the pain and the cruelty that people have experienced is hard work it's draining it's I don't think it's really I don't think people really understand exactly how how hard it is So that's hard work at the best of times, but we've just been through a devastating few years. So as a counsellor, you're there for your clients and holding space for them and trying to deal with everything that's happening to yourself in your own life. And that really is hard. Are you even aware how hard that is, how much you're actually putting yourself through? So yes, there's been a relentless amount of change and stress that we're all experiencing. So I wanted to share some resources with you in order to try and help you. So at the moment I'm sharing four of the most popular self-care podcasts that I've published. I started with episode 117 where I shared how to stay productive even on low energy days. So if you're anything like me and you have high energy days and get loads done and then you have low energy days where it feels like you're walking through treacle take a listen to that and it's also available as a blog if you prefer reading to listening just go to janetraviscouk slash 117 and then last week in episode 118 I shared a hugely popular podcast with guests that I had Charlie Hyde where we discussed our own personal experiences of burnout and shared with you some thoughts and some tips now this week I'm sharing a podcast that I did with Howard Baumgarten and Howard is an amazing person. He's a therapist, he has his own practice in Lakewood, Colorado and he has a vast experience of helping counsellors to both grow their practice and to take better care of themselves. He's an author. He wrote Private Practice Essentials. He's a podcaster. Check out the Psych Biz podcast where he produces shows with, you know, with another friend of the show, Sarah Gershon. And he's also a public speaker and a wellness trainer. And he covers topics such as compassion fatigue, burnout prevention, resilience, stress management, and conflict resolution. So he wears a lot of different hats and he knows a lot about compassion fatigue and burnout. So in this episode, he also talks about the addictive nature of doing more and more and more. He looks at moving into the process of self-care and he also explores the difference between burnout and compassion fatigue and how to recognise the difference. (laughs) he says that untreated compassion fatigue will almost certainly lead to burnout and prolonged burnout can lead to depression so yeah it's serious stuff and you know I wouldn't wish that on you so if you are starting to feel a bit burnt out if you're feeling very often very tired and it's becoming a bit of a struggle you know have a listen to this and I hope it helps Right, Howard, it's really, really nice to have you here. I'm delighted to have you on the on the podcast. I've been looking forward to speaking to you for quite a while now. Now, you're a therapist, you do wellness training, you're an author. How do you describe yourself?
1: Well, first of all, Jane, thank you for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here, and it's really a privilege and an honor to share with your listeners uh, all, any information that I can impart regarding Clinical practice, and and uh, I know we're going to talk a lot about self care today. To answer your question, I kind of describe myself as a uh, almost a chameleon, a, a, a jack of all trades in the area of mental health and psychological awareness, and um, that's a that's a broad description, but I think it accurately represents myself. Uh, the projects that I Find myself picking up on. They often happen by accident. I'm something gets placed in front of me. I get curious about something, and I need more information and knowledge. And so, what happens is, is I become excited about it. I read about it. I start to find the experts. I talk to them. I listen to their their podcasts and their audio audiobooks, or read their books, and really start to immerse myself. And then the other part of it is that I, you know, I have this sort of living experiential psychological private practice, right? And, uh, you know, that informs a lot of my direction in what I find interesting in research. And so there's a convergence between what I learn outside of my office and what I teach and learn from my clients teach to my clients and learn from my clients in the clinical setting. And it's really been a recipe for, I think, success, first of all, and perhaps more importantly, a recipe for allowing me to feel enriched, very fortunate to feel this way in my personal satisfaction of my professional endeavors.
0: And I think as a therapist, I think, you know, we're in the business of people, aren't we? Learning about people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's more interesting than that? You know, what's more interesting than learning about what makes people tick and why we might do things and how we might be able to, you know, grow and develop and i think it's it's just such a fascinating thing isn't it
1: yeah and that that's really you said it very well what makes people tick that's what really got me into the field i remember being in high school and taking a psychology course and when i was 16 17 years old and having this experience of why do people do things that the way they do them. And, you know, why do I do things the way I do them? And why is my family the way that they are? And you start to get curious about it. And I think that I am very much, um, an objectivist and subjective subjectivist at the same time, which is sort of dichotomous. You, you can't be both, but yet in a way you can, as a human being, you, you can look at, you can look inside your own experience, from a place of um, some objectivity and yet you can also be the subject and you can look at other people this way and relationships and social circumstances, psychological circumstances. And so I became fascinated about this and had this real curiosity, you know, when I taught my course at the University of Colorado, which I don't teach anymore, but uh, I developed this curriculum on building private practice. And one of the things I would tell my students is that it's important to look at three areas when you're developing your interest in career um, <clears throat> in this field. The first is, how intellectually interested am I in the material, right? Like, in other words, what you said, you know, how do, what makes people tick? And is there, an, is there a curiosity? That's a great word, curiosity, right? The second thing is, do I have the aptitude to study it? Like, like, am I smart enough to really study this? Right. And obviously that you, you, sometimes you have to, when you're young, you, you consult with academic experts to, you know, you take tests, you take entrance exams into graduate school, this sort of thing. Right. And then the third thing, and I think one of the most important, they're all important, of course, is the will, the passion. What, you know, is this something that you care enough about? It's the care. And that might lead into our topic today, because when you're passionate about something and you care, you're also very vulnerable to being fatigued about what you're passionate about as you go through an entire career of doing this work that we do.
0: Absolutely. And I think that, as you say, what we do, I don't, we don't, I think the majority of counselors that I know of, certainly don't get into this this for the money, do they? I'm not saying people can't make a good living out of it, but people don't think I want to make millions of dollars or millions of pounds, I'm going to go into counselling. People do it because it's a passion, it's something that they're drawn to. And I think that, as you say, that can leave us a bit vulnerable because I, I think that we can, just due to the fact that we are a, a sort of kind and caring and compassionate person sometimes that can mean that we can sometimes be um people pleasers mm-hmm. I don't know if you agree with that but then obviously as people pleasers that means that we can end up putting other people's needs in front of our own and then we get to a place where we're constantly looking after others we're not we're neglecting our own needs and then we get to a point of you know, maybe a point of what we're going to be looking at, which is burnout or compassion fatigue, and basically feeling very stressed.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, you, you said it well. People pleasing is often what counselors will tell me that they experienced early on in their development, right before they became counselors, like. I was always the good kid trying to help out. I was always the, you know, the one that was repairing, repairing my parents' marriage or, or, you know, taking care of my siblings, you know, this type of thing. Not all counselors go, you know, who go into the field have that kind of an experience. A fair amount of them do. And, you know, it's interesting because in my role as a consultant, while I help people with the technical nuts and bolts of, building and maintaining a successful, enriched, enriched private practice, often what comes out is a personal narrative that unfortunately has slightly gotten in the way of building a meaningful practice. And so we, we will partially address that. And obviously I can't be their counselor and their business coach. So to the degree that it's getting in the way, if it's, if it's, you know, pretty impactful, I might recommend, you know, are you in therapy? Do you need maybe to work through this with a therapist so that you know you can better manage your practice? And oftentimes, it's exactly what you're talking about, Jane. It's compassion fatigue. It's burnout. It's um, overdoing it. And we'll talk about these terms as we as we dive into this topic today. Excellent, excellent.
0: And it's it's all tied up, isn't it? It's all very tied up in what we do and. I guess also sometimes some not again not with everybody but I think sometimes we can feel over responsible for people especially I think when we're when we're starting out I think it happens less and less the longer we do it I think we learn don't we because we learn that we might have done it previously and we 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 learn ways to not do it but I think we can sometimes take too much responsibility would you agree with that
1: I do and to the younger clinicians in your listeners, I would say, you know, certainly this type of behavior is something, this type of feeling is something that to address, but at the same time, know that with experience, you are going to grow, you are going to be, um, less prone to having, uh, burnout or compassion fatigue, but it will, the possibility will never go away. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you know, recently I realized how earned out, I became when the demand for services went up last year. And, you know, I started doing more and more of this, of, of counseling, started doing more podcasting and projects. And of course, lined myself up with so much to do that I forgot about my, you know, taking care of my, my own backyard, my personal life. And so here I am a seasoned veteran and, you know, I'm, reverting back to you know old pattern old patterns if you will mm. and you know we're always susceptible but we do get confident in our ability to be resilient and grow the more experience we have so in this particular case i was much more confident than i was 20 years ago when i became stressed over some other form of burnout that i was experiencing
0: mm. and i think that's the thing i think i think being in private practice is a fantastic chance to do personal development, to look at ourselves, to learn about ourselves. Like you say, that could be, you know, do you need to go and have some more personal therapy? But, you know, what's happening in in your business? What's making you feel awkward? You know, look at that rather than sort of be a bit embarrassed about it and think, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that. Be really open to it. And that's interesting, isn't it? I wonder why I feel like that and be curious about it. And we grow then as clinicians and personally
1: yeah, that's managing the countertransference, right? When we have countertransference that comes up and it gets so powerful that it affects our functioning with many or all of our clients, we really have to take a step back and really look at what's going on. And like you said, possibly even go and get some personal help. And, you know, uh, as a young clinician, I recommend folks, it really not just as a young clinician, but at any time, not only to be in your own personal therapy. I mean, I, I, I'm happy to share that I have been in personal therapy most, if not all, of my adult life, and I find great value from it. Now, the frequency with which I visit my personal therapist has a lot to do with time and busyness and my own self-care. And obviously, um, sometimes it happens that I don't visit this person enough when I need them. And sometimes I'm probably overvisiting that person when I don't need them so much. But the fact that I have that relationship is so valuable. And then I also recommend that you from time to time do supervision, you know, that especially if you're starting out that you have clinical supervision and Mm -hmm. make no mistake, clinical supervision is not personal therapy. And so to have the availability of both is really important, especially when you're starting in the first five years of your practice. Mm.
0: And I think that's something we have different. Obviously I'm in the UK, you're in the U S and, counselling and and therapy is 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 generally the same thing but we do have differences in the way that it's run here in the in the UK we're obliged to have supervision so we have to have a minimum of an hour and a half supervision every month so we have a slight difference there I know that in the US it's generally more when you're starting although you can carry on and have the option of supervision is that is that right
1: yeah there's the only mandatory requirement for supervision in most states is uh, a certain amount of hours to in order to get your license mm. i i love the 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 fact that supervision is is so highly regulated in the uk because i think that we should all clinicians should be obtaining supervision at some frequency throughout their career. I mean, my colleagues in this office here, for example, we do peer supervision groups once every six or eight weeks. And then what we do is we talk about cases and uh, we also check in with each other personally. You know, it's a peer group, a peer supervision group. Mm-hmm. So we, we talk about cases, We uh, one, one clinician leads the group and then we trade off obviously the next time it's another clinician and we... Talk about clinical issues in our patients. Obviously, you know, protecting the names of our clients and protecting confidentiality. And then we also check in. You know, how are you doing personally? It's a quick check in. It's not therapy. It's just a quick check in to make sure that we're all doing okay. And you're right, though. There's there's less regulation in the United States, and um, I rather imagine that's not going to change much. But I do think that even in situations in geographic locations where it's not as highly regulated. Uh, clinicians really should avail themselves of, you know, this professional type of consultation.
0: Mm. I think for us, we 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 often see it a little bit like a safety net. You know, it's something there that you can feel held within your work. I used to enjoy my supervision. I used to I used to I used to like it. It's like coaching for you for your counseling
1: work. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun to get together with other colleagues and um, and even if it's just one, even if it's just your supervisor, and to be able to access you know their wealth of knowledge and their perspective. And I provide clinical supervision. I usually have one or two supervisees at any given time. And the super- supervisees that I find most value are the ones that we grow together and we stay in it for a long time because mm-hmm. I get to know them, they get to know me we, you know, I'm helping them hone their skills. Um, and, and, they're, they're teaching me about, you know, new ideas and new ways of approaching things. And Mm. my job as a supervisor is to, uh, you know, help keep, you know, help keep them growing and help, especially help them, you know, be safe and not, you know, step outside of the boundaries of Mm. what is therapy.
0: Absolutely. So, We're going to be talking a little bit about um, stress and burnout and compassion fatigue. And this is something I'm really interested in because I have to say, I'm just coming through a period of feeling. I think that I have been um, burnt out Mm. and I'm just coming through that now. Over the last couple of days, I feel a little bit like I've got my mojo back a little bit, but I think I've just been through that. So I've got a few questions for you about this. Looking after myself here. So the first thing is what do you think is how would you describe this? What would be the difference between burnout and compassion fatigue? Or are they, are they kind of the same thing? Or is compassion fatigue what happens when you're in burnout?
1: Well, I think first, let me say this: great, it's a great question. In order to talk about compassion, fatigue, and burnout, we need to first introduce and talk about the concept of stress. Mm-hmm because stress is the precursor to both in my view Now, i've studied a lot of the current experts and leading experts on stress and passion fatigue and burnout and there is a connection really actually among all three stress is involved in both compassion fatigue and burnout but stress can be without alone can be without um, compassion fatigue or burnout but burnout and compassion fatigue has an element of stress in it so I want your listeners and I want you to know that stress is the thread, right? It's the principal component to all of these things, okay? Including something beyond burnout that is clinical in nature that we call depression. So I'll talk about that too just briefly, but stress is important in in order for us to function we actually need an optimal amount of stress and for each individual that amount of stress varies because we're all slightly different right and so we know typically what amount of stress we can manage so stress uh, our stress hormones allow us to activate and do and move and study and learn and go to work and this kind of thing and so for optimal stress we we need to feel that in our bodies but when it becomes too much It becomes unmanageable and you'll hear, you know, the common phrase that you hear around the world in different languages is I'm so stressed out, (laughs) right? Mm. That's the beginning of the problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it starts out as something that you can just kind of toss around in conversation. I'm feeling really stressed. but I suppose there comes a point where it goes from just, Hey, I'm, I'm stressed to, I mean, what, what's the point where it goes from, I'm a bit stressed to actually this is starting to really affect me.
1: Well, like I said, it's different for everyone, but you got to kind of look for symptoms, right? We, when we, you know, we, as clinicians, we start to think about symptoms in our clients, of course, because we're unwilling to think of our own (laughs) because we're caregivers, but I would challenge your, you, the listener, um, to think about how does, how do you relate to stress? What, what relationship do you have and how do you know? Um, for some people it's, you know, a common one is sleep. For example, right? I constantly talk about sleep with my clients. I constantly really talk about sleep with myself. Um, and we have to have optimal sleep. We we need cycles of deep sleep in order for us to you know re-energize for the next day. And let's say we're sleep deprived, uh, and you know that's going to put us at, at high risk for exactly what you were suggesting. You know, stress becoming too much for us to manage. Right. You you've probably had a night or two of bad sleep, right?
0: Oh well, yeah. Yeah. We all have, haven't we? But yeah, yeah. It, it really affects you.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So how does it affect you the next day for you, Jane? For
0: me. My head goes a bit foggy. I can't concentrate. I could nod off at, you know, about two o'clock, I'm ready to go to sleep. I can't uh I can't I can't think of words a bit like now. I'm just sort of struggling to find words. I'm I'm just struggling to concentrate.
1: It's right. I guess it's that concentration. Right. And we're not as productive, right? Mm-hmm. The production yeah. goes down. We don't feel good. We probably I don't know about you, but when I'm sleep deprived, I'm hungrier. I tend to not make good food decisions. You know, I, I don't feel as good about my wholeness, myself. And so that would be an example of you might be stressed out, right? I'm or I'm you hear people say, I'm having a bad day. And for most of us, we know how to recover. When we're off we know we need a better night's sleep the next day, or we know that we might need to rearrange our schedules so that we can take better care of ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. But for many of us, we just power through. So I want to move you up and your listeners up into the continuum further. So when you power through and you move beyond the stress and you ignore the stress, and you ignore the lack of sleep, and you ignore these problems. You begin as a clinician, especially as a, a care professional, right? The, the whole concept of compassion fatigue was born out of this, the, the caring field, right? The, the, the field of caring for others, and so it's it's thought that compassion fatigue. The common thinking is that compassion fatigue can only happen with people who are in a care type of industry, and. Really, even though I'm speaking to most listeners I'm speaking to are in our, our industry, they are in the care industry I really want for folks to think globally that compassion fatigue can happen in any field at any time, because even, even technology fields, right? Because we are helping ultimately helping the end user. We are ultimately help whether you're a clinician helping a patient or a software programmer, a computer programmer helping an end user, you are compassionate about the end user, right? And you're, you may be passionate about the work, but you care about the people using it, if you're any kind of decent human being. Hmm. So I, compassion fatigue can happen for, to anybody. Go ahead.
0: So basically, if you feel passionate about what you're doing, then you could end up with, with compassion fatigue because right. you're maybe giving too much, pushing yourself, expecting too much of yourself.
1: Exactly. And that's, that's the key. The key is, you know, most of us, when we're having a stressful day, what what happens is we say, you know what, I'm going to pull back a little bit, get a better night's sleep, maybe not do so much admin work today. I know I'll feel better tomorrow. I'm going to give myself a break and take care of myself. Right. With compassion fatigue, though, it's ignoring the stress and feeling like they have to keep showing up for admin, for scheduling clients, getting more clients, servicing everybody, because it's, it's, it's caring too much about the mission, about the people that you serve, so much so that you forget about your own stress temporarily. Compassion fatigue is almost like a drug-related response to your stress.
0: Wow. 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 A drug, res- a drug. Say that again. Sorry, it's
1: gone. It's right like a drug-related mind. response, a drug-related right?
0: Drug-related response. Wow.
1: Sure. I'm going to stay up all night burning the midnight oil because I'm so stressed out and I need to do that. That's no difference than you're. you're it's no difference than numbing out. You're just nu- You're just numbing in by by becoming a workaholic, basically. Yeah. And so that's why I call compassion fatigue a drug-related response to stress. Mm. And you can you put that what? quote in the show notes if you want. <laughs> <laughs> right I'll make
0: a note <laughs> but I mean that sounds so familiar to me because what's happened for me certainly over the last couple of years is that I have put more, more pressure on myself to do more to keep doing more to keep going and recently I've had a period of time where I've over committed myself have, I've given myself several quite big things that I've needed to do or chosen to do I guess and in a moment of like, hey, yeah, I'm on the top of my game and I can do everything. I've sort of written out everything that I'm going to do. And then as time's gone along, it's like, yeah, well, I forgot that actually I'm, I'm really quite tired and I've got this on my plate and these things, you know, you get a curveball thrown at you. And I ended up a bit overcommitting myself, doing too much, not feeling as though I could stop because it felt that I really had to do these things till I got to the point at the crux of it where it was like, I can't do anymore. Think, You know, I'm going to have to now pare down and I'm, I'm doing it at the moment. Actually. I'm just, at mo- I'm just recovering at the moment. I'm pairing everything back to what do I absolutely need to do? Mm-hmm. So that's where I am. I mean, is, is that quite typical? Do you think?
1: Oh, it can be very much. And you actually brought up some really key points in the phase of, and process within compassion fatigue. So you mentioned this, this sort of overtaking, right? It's like, um, it's almost like making more commitments becomes addictive. That's the addictive part of it, right? I can't stop saying yes. Mm. And it's really hard for clinicians to admit this. Yes. I, yeah. I can't stop saying yes. Now, I want you as the clinician, you, the proverbial you, the listener, to think about that process and be honest with yourself when you're, when you're doing that and really, really challenge yourself. You've done a beautiful job, uh, Jane, of, of, of dialing that back because um, you, I think you're right now at the precipice of recognizing that you're about to step into burnout. And I'm going to tell you what burnout is in a minute and what, 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 why it's different from compassion fatigue, that you are, you're seeing what's going on and you're, you're, consciously backing your way down from compassion fatigue because you've become aware of your, your symptom, you've become aware of your process, you've admitted you don't like it, much the way an addict admits that you know, they're powerless over their addiction. I know that there's folks that you know, believe in the 12-step model and whatnot, but the idea is, is that you are becoming aware of it and you have a desire to change it before you become burned out. And so I'll tell you why you're not quite burned out yet in just a moment, so you're recognizing the addictive draw of saying, "Yeah, I can do that, yeah, I can overcommit, yeah, I can do this you're probably also recognizing that you're staying up later, um, you know you're you're kind of flirting with shaving off you know m- more sleep time and And, and, and you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're off, you just don't feel right. And so you're starting to climb into the awareness of that. And you're saying, I need to see some changes here. I've got to be conscious now. And this is the part I love that you said about beginning to say no to people. So in other words, I'm still going to show up for my work. Only I'm going to say no. For example, one of the remedies of compassion fatigue we can talk more about remedies too if you like one of the remedies of compassion fatigue is saying i'm not going to stay up past 10 p.m. anymore and if that means i'm putting down my paperwork and i don't get it done till tomorrow that's a boundary so boundaries and empathy with yourself you know we're so good at giving empathy to others the antidote this is really important the antidote to compassion fatigue is compassion equals empathy plus boundary and that is that is turned toward you toward toward you the the person experiencing compassion fatigue so it's a formula the the simple part of it is if i become compassionate within myself i will feel better but i have to have a boundary i have to really have a boundary within myself if you look at the work of um many many folks might know the work of uh, dick schwartz okay who who is the internal family uh, systems uh, expert. And he talks about parts within. We have to look at the part within ourselves, okay? That special part of us that is fatigued and we have to find the other part of ourselves that has compassion within and be able to, and then we have to find another part that says, I can set a boundary. And I think you're in the process of doing that in a way to avoid burnout, because here's the difference you're consciously choosing to start to back your way down and say no while you're still showing up for enough of your work. When you transition from compassion fatigue to burnout, you completely give up. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So burnout is a state of mental and physical and emotional exhaustion in which you not only cannot be productive anymore, but the human being shuts down and stops coming to work. So it differs from compassion fatigue because with compassion fatigue, you actually ramp up and you do more. That's the addictive part of it, or the, if you want to call it that. With burnout, you're shutting down.
0: Mm. So if you were in like a paid employment position, that would be the time that you start calling in sick and saying, That's right. I can't come in today, yeah.
1: Right, or if you're in private practice, you start um, canceling your whole day. You know, you start, I mean, it's one thing. It's funny when I've been compassion fatigued, um, I've never, I've started to shave, this might be helpful for a clinician. I started to shave off my administrative stuff and stop taking new clients, but I've never called a client and, and canceled because I'm fatigued. You know, um, I might call a client and, um, unless there's an emergency, you know, like I have a funeral to go to, or there's an emergency with my kid or something like that you know, weather-related cancellations, things like this. But, um, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you have to call your client and say, I'm not really feeling up to doing therapy with you today. (laughs) Not that you would say that.
0: So is that the difference then between compassion to fatigue and burnout? So compassion fatigue, you can handle it whilst you're in it by cutting out all of the non-essential things, like going on a real power down, doing everything that you can to just really focus on what what you actually really have to do like see your clients um whereas burnout is a point where you just you just can't anymore you just have to you have to stop
1: yeah if you're if you're canceling clients because you're burned up because you're you're stressed you're probably, you're probably either heading toward it or really in burnout yeah. because that's what you're normally really passionate about doing. Yeah. Um, and again, you're, you're not showing up. Remember the fundamental difference between compassion fatigue and burnout, compassion fatigue, you show up more, you almost become addicted to your work, burnout, you completely drop off, yeah. you know, and you stop. Yeah.
0: It sounds so familiar to me because I know, and something else, and I don't know what you you think about this as well. I mean, I suppose there's a re, the reasons behind the fact that we keep pushing ourselves and pushing ourselves. I know through a lot, I've been doing a lot of personal development work recently um, over the last few years, and I know how massive my imposter syndrome is. I mean, it's massive for me. And I talk about imposter syndrome, and, you know, we all have it. But for me, for various different reasons, I have massive imposter syndrome. And I think that that's one of the things that drives me to overcommit to want to do more and more and more, kind of in an effort to, I don't know, prove myself maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a great point. I think you're, you're actually getting at more of the deeper ideological factors that can, that can play into uh, these conditions right? Because you're beginning to kind of talk about insecurity, right? Personality traits, right? If, if you know, if we grew up in um, a circumstance in which we, our insecurities weren't, ta- weren't cared for in the proper ways, which is probably true for most of us, you know, that baggage follows us into our adulthood and we have to be aware of that baggage. We have to be insightfully present with that baggage and when we lose sight of that baggage that's when we're vulnerable that's when we're most vulnerable Mm -hmm. for becoming fatigued because it's like we're turning off the switch of all that all that we're made of all that shaped us um it is not at all uncommon for us to have imposter syndrome that's part of what comes with being in this field i mean you 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 could grow up in the perfect family and in the perfect community and the perfect environment. And you're still going to have some sense of insecurity. It's just human nature.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
1: so as we bring that into our uh, professional lives and our, and our personal adulthood, when we're detached from that and not paying attention, of course, this is why I recommend staying in in concert and in touch with a personal therapist when we're not aware of that, you know, that's, that's where danger can arise. Mm, Yeah. So you really are getting at some of the ideological, you know, factors. And so no matter what, no matter how well you care for yourself, we're all vulnerable to the possibility of compassion fatigue and burnout.
0: Absolutely. I think if you've been through it once and start to recognize it, then when you start going down that route again, you can, you know, you can go, oh, hang on, this is familiar. And then at that point you can then say, right, what happened last time? What helped me? What worked for me? And yeah. maybe that's something we could have a little chat about now, because what would you say are, you know, good things that you can do if you recognize that you're sort of in that sort of feeling stressed and burnt out and and with compassion
1: fatigue? Well, you know, one thing that you made me think about when you brought up the imposter aspect and, you know, we were just on that point. Um, I'll, I'll circle back to that first and then and then get to the maybe some behavioral things, but I think it's important for, I think it's important to get in touch with your imposter. Like, like, you know, most of us feel that insecurity and the knee jerk gut reaction is, "Oh, I don't like this person inside me and I don't want to feel this way. And so I'm going to detach from it and pull away from that and pretend that I'm okay. And I actually think that that not only does that do you a disservice, it does your clients a disservice because you're not showing up in your authentic self. Now, I'm also not suggesting that you walk into your sessions with your clients and you know self-disclose how stop crying yeah how pathetic <laughs> you feel today right and like oh my god I really don't you know it reminds I don't me know of why I'm here it, <laughs> you'll probably it know reminds, more than I do <laughs> well what it reminds me of is the old Saturday Night Live skit for those of you who are old enough to remember um th- when Al Franken played Stuart Smalley on uh, a skit where he used to say I'm you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. People like me. And then he would counsel people. It, it was a very funny skit. He would counsel people, uh, you know, related to, you know, and, and then, and then basically in counseling, people end up talking about his own insecurities <laughs> quite extensively. And that was, that was the joke. It was, that was the humor of that, you know, therapists are so insecure that they can't really, um, even help themselves, let alone help other people, you know, even though they do help other people and, you know, so I found that bit to be very funny, but um, there's a little kernel of truth in that joke, right? That why not be authentic? You know, a lot of times what I will do is as appropriate to the material that my client is uh, serving up, I might say, well, what, you know, I might say something to my client, like, do you imagine that this is a collective problem, including the person sitting right in front of you i.e me your therapist they might be sharing something insecure about them and they go well, i really have not thought about that and i'll say yeah of course now i won't then go into a diatribe about my insecurities again that would be counter uh productive and highly unethical but what i what i do recommend is that you show up with your authenticity you connect to that part of you within uh that does feel insecure you know you can be in a session with a client be in touch with your insecurities and be working professionally and confidently at the same time. And I think clinicians don't often don't try on, especially when they're first doing this is to get curious about how can I be in touch with my insecurity while being confident about my delivery. And Mm -hmm. that's what we work on. That's what you work on. You you're, it's like you're, it's like you're feeding your own backyard while you're teaching your clients about humility Mm -hmm. and valuing themselves. And so it becomes a productive process of you manage, self-managing yourself while going through the process of delivering your services, mm. right? And so that's one... I wanted, I wanted to make that point because I think so many of us sort of compartmentalize those insecurities we feel, and that is going to increase your stress.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think as counselors, we put ourselves under pressure to somehow know the answers, to somehow be self-actualized, to somehow have it all figured out you know to have it have all our ducks in a row I keep saying that phrase at the moment we have all our ducks in a row but almost a feeling that how can I talk to somebody about being anxious or shouting at their kids when I've just shouted at my kids you know it's like how can I possibly be the person that helps them if I'm doing it myself and that's It's, it's about being okay with that and recognizing that we don't have to be perfect. It's okay. It's not necessarily okay to shout at our kids, is it? But, but we do shout at our kids. It's what we do with that. Isn't it? It's not, it's not the be all and end all. That's right. So you can shout at your kids and still be a good counselor. You can, it's,
1: it's it's you being humble enough and, and, and um, having the integrity to and vulnerability to show up today and f- facilitate uh, this podcast, which you're doing so beautifully, uh, and then at the same time, acknowledge that you're going through your own stuff, right? So in other words, you know, if you can pull that off, if you can confidently run the podcast while at the same time saying, you know, I struggle with my own vulnerabilities and I struggle with my own insecurity and what do I do about that? Now you're being wholehearted and, and, and you're being an integrated human being. And that's, that to me is beautiful. I love that.
0: Well, thank you for, and <laughs> thank
1: you. But, but that's how you manage fatigue. That's how you grow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just act kind of, rec- I think it's all about recognition, is it? isn't it? it? When mm-hmm. we know what we're dealing with, when we know that we're dealing with something, we can then do something about it and protect ourselves in the future, can't we? Whereas if we go, no, I'm not going to, that's not me, I'm fine. And if we try to just push it. Push it behind us, then it's never looked at. We never get the chance to look at it, reflect on it, learn from it, and like I say, do things, take steps so that in the future we can recognise that's what's going on and protect ourselves. Because in the past, when I've had this, I've 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 learned a system that works for me, which is to withdraw, to tidy the house up, to listen to like really empowering like podcasts or books. Um, do lots of, you know, watch a load of box sets of things, sleep, eat some nice food, not just rubbish food, eat some nice food, food. And after a few days, I know that I'll come around and I'll start to feel better about myself. It's taken a long time to get to that, a long time to actually, because originally I started feeling a bit, a bit burned out and I'd just go, oh, no, it's fine. And I would just literally try and power through the whole time. So yeah, giving yourself permission to stop and explore, I suppose, is the thing.
1: Dan Dan Siegel, the expert in uh, interpersonal neurobiology, said it really well when he said it so simply, you've got to name it to tame it. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about awareness. And so when you get curious about it and you become aware of it, you start to move into a process of self-care like you were talking about in your narrative there. And it's that process of self-care that allows us to dial down from our fatigue or back away from and down from burnout, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Now, I want to I also make one other point, which is um, untreated compassion fatigue will almost certainly lead eventually to burnout, okay? And burnout, again, just to review, the symptoms of burnout are mental, physical, uh, emotional, and psychological exhaustion. You're feeling depleted. You're not showing up. That's the key. You're not showing up. Okay? Um, And that's the key difference. And your productivity is obviously affected by not showing up. And and prolonged burnout, this is the, the comment I wanted to make, prolonged burnout can lead to clinical depression. So not only are you not showing up, you're not recovering from not showing up. And now it's starting to really affect your personal life. It's affecting your finances, which affects your personal life, your ability to get food and resources. Uh, You're not getting out of bed. You're, you know, and you, you, you know, you were, you, you were a clinician for a long time. And so you, you know, that two weeks or more of not getting out of bed, that is clinical depression right there. And so what I want to, remind our listeners, and I think it's really important, is that you are just as vulnerable for clinical depression as the client sitting before you. Absolutely. And that's why we have to understand burnout, compassion fatigue, and how we connect with and live in connection and in concert with our stress.
0: Mm -hmm. I did a talk for the BACP, which is a a British, this British Association for Counsellors and Psychotherapists a few years ago now and I did a, t- a talk about self-care and I was really shocked to discover that such a lot of psychotherapists really struggle with burnout and that that can lead to like addictions and I can't remember the figure now I wish I'd thought about this before but I was really shocked at the amount of clinicians that can you know, fall into like addictions or even suicide and all of those sorts of things. It's really shocking.
1: It's a medical epidemic that care providers are either killing themselves by literally taking their own lives or by overworking themselves Mm. to death. And like you said, becoming addicted to substances. And it is a major hazard of our profession in particular, and one that folks are not very outspoken about. There's a sort of a stigma, a silence, if you will, around it. And it's very deeply concerning to me, which is one of the reasons why I agreed to come on your show. I I want clinicians to understand the impacts of how stressful our jobs are and Mm -hmm. how important self-care is it's why i devoted an entire chapter in my private practice essentials volume on self care
0: Mm, absolutely
1: yeah and one one of the you know i don't don't know if we want to talk about some more remedies i know we talked a little bit about antidotes
0: yeah i mean now i'm feeling really depressed after thinking about how We're all
1: depressed and burnt
0: out. So let's look at some things. So if anybody's recognizing that, actually, I think I might be, you know, I I can
1: recognize some of those sort of symptoms. What can we do? Well, I think um, one of the things I wrote about in my uh, volume is this. I love acronyms. And so I have this acronym in there called Find Your ZENS, Z-E-N-S. And Z stands for sleep. E stands for exercise, N stands for nutrition, S stands for spirituality, and I call this the four pillars of wellness and self-care, and I think these, each of these pillars are crucial standing alone, and each are relevant in concert with each other, so when we're sleeping better, as I mentioned earlier, we make better decisions about the food we put in our bodies, right? When we're exercising, our appetite is modulated better and we tend to sleep better at night. When we're engaged in spiritual connection, whether it be through religion or music or creativity and art or you know socializing with friends or nature, our connection to nature, meditation, mindfulness, these are all examples of exploring your, your spirituality. We are walking the walk that we teach our clients when we're engaged in all four of these areas. So for me personally, I get up, go for a walk or a run in the morning. I connect with my pets. I take my time. I do some mindfulness and meditation work. I do all of that to get my day started. And I highly recommend you as a clinician do that at the beginning of the day to set your tone. That's really important to set your tone for the day. Fill you up so that you can help your clients it's the same concept as put on your oxygen mask before your loved one if the plane is going down that make sense
0: absolutely absolutely um,
1: what do you do what, what kind of things do you do to get moving and get yourself centered and balanced in the morning
0: well I don't run
1: that's for sure
0: <laughs> but I do have a dog and when I'm on top of my game so when I'm not feeling burnt out I spend I love taking my dog out. I like going out with the dog in nature and I'm I'm just a really happy bunny. That just makes me feel great. I dabble with journaling, although I don't do it as much as I I would like to. I'd really like to journal more regularly. Um, I dabble with journaling. I'm seeing a counsellor at the moment as well. So obviously I, I, I sort of help, you know, help with my mental health there as well. I just generally look after myself better. I eat better I go to sleep when I'm tired. So if I'm tired at nine o'clock, I go to bed. Whereas if I'm burnt out, if I'm tired, I'll stay up. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm not, even if I'm not doing anything more than watching telly for some, mm-hmm. somehow my, my, my sleep patterns really change.
1: You mean if you're fatigued, not burned out, if you're fatigued, I'll stay up, meaning I'm going to overfunction and and, and, and do that. If I'm feeling overstressed, I'll stay up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And by the way, you said something earlier in that, in that in that um, response, you said, When I'm not feeling burned out, I do these things. Mm. I want to reframe that and say, when I do these things, I don't feel burned out. Yeah. Yeah. Because the doing these things that you just talked about is the self care that leads to you not feeling burned out.
0: Yeah. So I suppose something for me to watch out for is am I not doing those things? Have I got, have I told myself I'm too busy now to go and do one of these things? Yeah.
1: That's right. Self care first outcome is i i am managing my stress and therefore not burned out not mm. if you find yourself saying gosh i'm so burned out i'm i'm, I'm not going to go for my run today no all the more reason you need to go for your run or your walk or your connection to nature or whatever right yeah,
0: absolutely absolutely so so if you Keep up with your your sleep, with your nutrition, your nurturing nurturing food. If that's right, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Exercise and spirituality. If you keep that and have, engage with that and have that as part of your normal everyday life, that's going to help you to stay kind of on an even keel.
1: Absolutely, we live in a world where um, um, sleep deprivation and food um, and and uh, food have become sort of like. Uh, co- uh, competition, like how little sleep can I get yes, and still function, yes. and how quickly can I grab and go? If you think about it, um, you know, back in early, early, early human times, procuring food and preparing food, and even the process of eating was such a major part of survival. Right and resting up for the big hunt, right, and planting the fields and all this stuff, all that went into that. We don't, we don't really think about that sort of thing, and so, um, and that makes me sad because if we were more mindful about where our food comes from, and and you know all we need to do when we get food is go to the pantry mm-hmm. and pull out some processed, long shelf life thing that that has barely enough nutrients but a lot of you know bad things in it rather than really taking time. So one of the things that I've done in my older age is I've gotten into cooking and, and, you know, connecting with organics and, and really studying and reading about food and slowing down my eating process. And it's made a world of difference, even in how I approach my practice, mm-hmm. just Absolutely. using food as an example.
0: Yeah. And of course, I call that's, it,
1: sorry, I call it the five P's of, of connection to food planning, Procuring, preparing, presenting, and finally my favorite putting in
0: <laughs> put it in <laughs> you couldn't think of a word for that one <laughs> right <laughs> oh, I love it, I love it I love it and and really what that is it's going back to basics we all know these things are good for us, you know what you're telling me there isn't isn't some newfangled thing I mean it, it obviously it's your six pillars, but it's it's nothing that we don't know, really. We all know we should be doing these things, but it's whether or not we do it and whether or, not we, whether or not we have that self-compassion to put ourselves and our needs first and give ourselves that priority.
1: Absolutely. If you look at the work of Dr. Kristen Neff, she is the leading expert in the U.S. around self-compassion and look at take a look at her work you know she talks about the three elements of self-compassion and obviously um one of them is hey we're all we're, we're all in this together right this is a this is a a world issue of um i am not alone in my stress right or my insecurity or the things that we talked about that make us feel stressed and lonely and 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 you know um adverse right so I think that's really important. And then the the second one uh, she, she talks about is, and obviously this isn't in, in the order she presents them, but is um, self-kindness, being able to be kind to yourself. Yeah. Right? And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the third one is um, mindful awareness and positivity and just, you know, acceptance basically,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I, I, I think these elements are really, they're basic but we don't think about them all the time, yeah, and I think we need to go back into thinking about them and behaving as such,
0: yeah, absolutely. We need to think about them because if we're not thinking about them, we aren't realizing if we're letting something pass, if we're letting something go, if we're if we're not picking up on something, you know if we're if we start constantly giving and giving and giving and not saying no, then that means that we're neglecting ourselves in some way, isn't it, um aren't That's
1: we exactly. yeah. That's exactly right. So speaking of saying no, one of the other antidotes, one of the other um, behaviors is challenge yourself to say no to one thing every day, Uh, one ask of others, right? Being able to, you know, um, and and find creative ways to say no without saying the word no. Mm -hmm. Let me think about it right now. I can't do that. I, I, you know, please, a lot of times I'll be asked to do projects and um, I know the answer is No. I'll say, let me think about it. And then I'll come back and I'll say, you know, this is really interesting to me. And I, I, I most things are very interesting to me. I happen to be one of these people that is fascinated by everything. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why historically I say yes all the time. But um, I'll say something like, this is really interesting to me. Right now, my plate is full. Could you circle back with me in six months and let's talk about possibly getting a project going?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Does that make yeah, sense?
0: Absolutely and I think it's about practicing saying no like you say every day. So yeah, that's it's so important isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, well, do you know what? I think we've covered a lot today, haven't we? We've really covered a lot. So we've yeah. had a little look at we've had a little bit of a look at burnout, compassion fatigue, stress and our relationship to stress and we've looked at the differences there. We've had a little little look at some of the signs We've had a little look at some of the things that we might do to help us to address this, and I suppose by addressing it, the first thing is to recognise it. Um, I suppose if we think about everything that we've talked about today, it's all about self-compassion, isn't it?
1: Yeah, self-compassion is the antidote to compassion fatigue and avoiding burnout, mm-hmm. and uh, and and you know, and and it is. It is the way to optimize your stress. Again, to go back to the, my very first statement, we need a certain amount of stress in our lives in order to function. Our stress hormones actually help save us in a lot of ways. They, they, they keep us out of danger, for example. I mean, you know that. Your stress response kicks off when you, you have perceived danger. And, and, and that stress hormone allows you to avoid getting hit by a car, for example um, and tells you to, you know, stay on the sidewalk until the car passes. So I, I think, you know, I, I want you to make a connection with stress in a way that you embrace it so that you can better understand it and optimize it. So it works better for you.
0: Perfect. So recognize it, almost welcome it Yeah. and, and look after yourself. Definitely. Yeah. Oh God, Howard, do you know what? This has been lovely. Thank you so much. I am, it's been so lovely talking to you. I always like talking to you. Um, and I'm sure that my listeners will have just really enjoyed um, hearing from you as well. I wonder if you can tell me what would be, if people want to sort of connect with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: Well, thank, first of all, thank you, Jane, so much. I, I absolutely loved this Today. It was so fun and such an honor to be here, and I enjoy connecting and conversing with you as well so very much. If you want to connect with me, anybody, and I really welcome more dialogue and connection. I absolutely love it. It's my favorite thing to do. Uh, there are two really good ways to reach out to me. One is through LinkedIn. You just have to put my name in a profile and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a note after you connect with me that, hey, you heard this podcast. Let me know what you liked about it and, you know, share your feedback, of course. And the second way would be to email me at Howard at HowardBaumgarten.com, which is my website, HowardBaumgarten.com. And that's B A U M G A R T E N.
0: I'll put the um, details of that below this recording somewhere so you can go and um, connect with Howard. Also, Howard, I know that you've got a podcast of your own, haven't you? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. And you're, you're actually in queue for uh, one of our episodes. We <laughs> we recorded a little bit ago. And so I'm excited. I can't wait for that one to drop. So uh, the name of the podcast is called psych biz. We just launched season two so catch yourselves up. It's a really fun look at building and managing your practice from a different angle. I do that with my uh, partner in crime, uh, my my webmaster uh, Sarah Gershon, who is phenomenal. I know you know Sarah and your friends. We with know Sarah. that
0: she's she's been and put talked to us in the Grow Your Private Practice membership, and she's been she's been a guest here on the podcast. If you haven't listened to it, listeners, if you haven't listened to it, go and listen. She talks about five website myths. What I love about Sarah is she really understands therapists. And more importantly, she really understands clients and what they need when they visit a website. So that's a definite must listen to. She's so, so good.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll say this: I spent two years looking for the right person to redo my website. It took me two years to find. And I'm glad I was patient to find someone like Sarah and she is amazing. Mm. So I, she has my endorsement 100%. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Howard. Really. I'm so delighted you came and spoke to us and um, for anybody who's listening, that's in the membership, a little bit of a, um, I have got Howard coming to talk to us in the membership soon. So keep keep an eye out for that. But Thank you so much, Howard. And I shall look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jane. You have a good day.
0: See, I told you Howard's wonderful. And, you know, I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. I'm going to put all of his details somewhere around this recording for you to, you know, hopefully go and just say hi to him. You know, I'm sure he'd absolutely love that. Or check out the podcast that he does as well. So, yeah, compassion fatigue, burnout very serious stuff so please please look after yourself you know you deserve you deserve it you know you work hard you look after other people so you know make sure that you look after yourself as well and remember if you do need a little bit of extra help and support come and join us in the grow your private practice membership it's not just about things like social media and blogs it's also a support situation you're going to be around you know peers you're going to be around other people we're there to support other people and to get support for ourselves so come to to growyourprivatepractice.co.uk if you want a little bit of that so next week we've got the fourth in this sort of mini series that I'm doing and I'm going to share with you 10 simple ways to get motivated to grow your practice so I shall really look forward to seeing you then All right, take care. Have a brilliant week and look after yourself. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this, then please subscribe to the show. And while you're there, I'd love it if you could leave me a big, shiny five-star review. Bye.